Hello and welcome to the Lowdown and Insider's Look at stories touching our lives here on Cape Cod and beyond. My name is Ira Wood, and you're listening to us on WOMR 92.1 FM Provincetown, WFMR 91.3 FM Orleans, and streaming worldwide on WOMR.org. According to a recent survey, more than half of Americans think they've got a good idea for a novel, but only 15% have started writing one, 6% have gotten halfway through, and the rest never got started to begin with. And that's a pity because fiction broadens our imagination, takes us into other worlds, and opens our minds to the world through other people's lives. And you get that not only from reading novels, but from writing them as well. Today we're talking with a best-selling novelist whose new book is very different from all the many how-to-write books on the market because it focuses on the one element we all have within us, regardless of education or life experience, and that is memory, specifically how to look inward and mine our own emotional experience to find all the elements we need to write our stories. My guest is Ruta Sapitas. She's the award-winning author of five novels, including I Must Betray You and other historical fiction published in over 60 countries and 40 languages. Today we'll be talking about her latest book, You the Story, A Writer's Guide to Craft Through Memory. Ruta Sapitas, thank you so much for chatting with us today. Thanks so much for having me. So many people that I know feel that they could write a good novel, and there are hundreds of books on the market that purport to teach them how. Yours is maybe the only one I know of that focuses on memory. Tell us why. What is it about our own experiences that can unlock our creativity? I think, as you said, everyone has a story within them. And when people ask me how I do what I do and how I write historical novels, I assure them that the depth of feeling in my fiction comes from my own compost of memories and experience, Uh, characters, setting. um, Those are all part of our memories. And if we mine that compost, it can really enrich uh, our writing. So you use the word compost, and I like that because you're very honest in your book because all of your memories, some of them actually smell like compost. They're not (laughs) they're not perfect memories that you definitely would would want to share, but you can get emotional stuff out of them. So can you give us an example of how you used some of your own experiences and characters whose lives were completely different than your own? Sure. Um I rely heavily on what I call the four H's, which are heartbreak, hope, um, hilarity, and humiliation. I think those elements, uh, I, I don't know, make make your writing authentic. And I learned this when I worked in the music business prior to becoming a novelist, that when we put a piece of ourselves in the writing, it feels more authentic. But as, as an example, um, when I was researching my my latest book, Uh, I Must Betray You, which is set during the Romanian Revolution, and I was sitting with true witnesses. Um, Instead of just interrogating them or peppering them with a list of questions, I would ask sense memory questions. And I would say, okay, it's December 1989. The revolution has arrived. Where are you? Take me there. And they say, oh, well, I was in my grandmother's kitchen. I would say, great, take me there. And they would begin to describe 
what was on the stove cooking, the sounds coming through the open window. And they even then one door opens another door and they remembered the curtains sort of waltzing from side to side. And, you know, when I was interviewing them, it wouldn't occur to me to say what was cooking on the stove or what was the pattern on the curtains in the kitchen. But by opening these doors to memory, those rich details come back to us and they help make our writing uh, authentic and um, immersive, if you will. So the book addresses many questions that confront both aspiring writers and experienced writers. And I'd like to pose a big one. What if you feel like you've led a predictable life, absent fireworks and adventure, the things that movies are made of that we call high concept? Are your memories still valid? Can you still mine them for material that would make your characters interesting to readers? Absolutely. And I think that um, this is probably a common feeling uh, among some writers. They say, well, you know, I haven't traveled to far-flung places or, or worked a job that someone would consider interesting. But I think it's important to remember that strong writing is less about how we were educated or where we've traveled. It's about our emotions and our feelings and how we express them on the page. And when you express emotions in a oh a resonant way or create a character that feels real, you will connect with the reader. And it's at that moment of connection um, that the writing really jumps off of the page. So in other words, you're, if you, for instance, were dumped by somebody um, that you loved, that feeling of being dumped by somebody is valid for a character that lived 200 years ago, a thousand miles away. And it's as valid as your feeling. So you actually own the feelings of everyone. Well, um, I like to say that I like to collaborate with the feelings of everyone rather than own them. But yes, heartbreak, being dumped. I talk about that a lot in the book. My, my life has been such a, you know, a combination of fiascos. But instead of, oh, trying to smooth over edges, I present it in its awkwardness, in its vulnerability, in its ugliness, because to me, that feels authentic. I think that, you know, we're not perfect. And if someone tells you they're perfect, I think they're being dishonest. And I mean, we're perfect in our imperfection. And so I'm encouraging people to, to grasp onto that. Many people keep journals and feel that someday they'll refer to them when they get to writing a book. You make a distinction between journals and diaries and tell us one might be useful, more useful than the other. What's the difference? This is purely my opinion only, but a diary, this word, the diary, uh, I feel a diary is more confessional, um, whereas a journal, you know, perhaps we're writing about our plans or postulates. And that's also why when I was growing up, you know, they were sold to teens as diaries and diaries even had little locks and miniature keys. And it was the place where you would, you know, spill all of your, your greatest dreams or deepest, darkest fears. And again, because I feel that 
those have an emotional immediacy that is going to deepen your writing. And you should reflect on those, those things in the diary. What did you fear? What was it that you wanted? What was keeping you from getting uh, you what you wanted? What were, you know, um, the times that you found strength through struggle? Those confessional details can be very helpful. And I do want to, you know, make sure to mention that some memories, they're just not worth returning to. I mean, we need to protect our head and heart always. So we need to dig responsibly through our memories. But for those that are worth returning to, you know, think back in your memory when, when you were 14 years old, you know, what was your greatest dream? Uh, what were you thinking about? Who were you talking to? Things like that. If you're just joining us, you're listening to The Lowdown with Ira Wood and WOMR. Today's show is for anyone who knows they have a great story and wants to write a novel but is intimidated by the process. My guest is internationally best-selling novelist Ruta Sapitas, and we're talking about her new book, You the Story, A Writer's Guide to Craft Through Memory. Ruta, a writer once told me that before he starts writing, he could probably answer a Myers-Briggs personality test about all his main characters. How much do you know about your main characters before you start your books, or or do you allow them to develop and grow as you write? I like to allow them to develop and grow as I write, but there's a reason for that. I write historical fiction. So history provides a framework and a scaffolding, and my creative process comes through the interviews that I do with survivors, true witnesses of the events that I'm writing about. And as I'm interviewing them, I'm pulling threads from these interviews and I'm weaving them together to create composite characters. Um, and, and for me, again, sometimes I, I'm, I, I'm surprised myself as I'm writing what emerges in a character. So, um, but my friends who are authors, they, they also know so much about their characters before they begin. But for me, I like to be surprised during the process. So you do a lot of research before you start writing. And in doing so, you do these interviews with people to gather as much information as you can. In, in advising writers how to interview, you offer two tips that I think are brilliant. One is to find out as much information as you possibly can before the interview. And the other, as we talked about, is to ask sense memory questions. So talk about this process of interviewing people. Can you tell us about at least one fascinating person that you interviewed? Sure. And and I really feel that now we have the benefit of being able to perhaps prepare more in advance for the interviews with the benefit of the internet and social media. And, um, and you can research a, a person quite in depth before you speak to them. Um, and that means if they've written a book or if they've written articles, read them. I mean, out of respect for the person who is giving you their time, you know, Read, read the book or read the article. So for example, um, in my latest book, I Must Betray You, which is set during the Romanian Revolution, I was given the opportunity to interview one of the three soldiers who executed the dictator, the Romanian dictator. The guy who, and, who killed Ceausescu? Yes. Wow. Yes. Yanel Boyeru, who killed uh, Nicolae Ceausescu, 
And the interview was going to take place in Bucharest, Romania. He was going to travel from where he lived. I, I read everything that I could find um, on, on this, this gentleman and still felt that I, I didn't have all of the, the information that I could have. But that was okay. We had a really, uh, I felt, a, a wonderful, very intense conversation. Um, and even though I had researched uh, a lot about him, it was important with anyone that I interview, and so with this man as well, that he be speaking um, and I be listening. It always amazes me when when someone will you know interview, but they won't allow the person they're interviewing to to speak. Maybe they have so many questions, you know, that they're firing away these questions. And so I was concerned because I've done that in the past. And but I, I had very few questions, and instead would would let him speak. And uh, I'm just really grateful that he agreed um, to do that interview. And he said something I'll never forget. His opening opening statement in the interview was, Ruda, you have to understand, a revolution eats its heroes. And it was chilling. It was a very chilling interview. I'll never forget it. And you decided to travel to Romania and not to do it on Zoom. I mean, is that part of your process, is to, is to, is to see people as face-to-face as much as you can? It is, um, if possible. During the pandemic, at the, at the end of when I was writing the book, it wasn't possible. But I had already taken five trips to Romania. Um, and the reason is that the historical events I write about uh, are often difficult uh, and, and contain information about very painful chapters in history. And I find that either over Zoom or over computer, over the telephone, there's um, a suspicion and a fear sometimes with people that I'm interviewing. But when I sit in front of them and they see that I am not recording the interview, I'm simply taking notes on a pad of paper, they can see me as they're speaking, how I'm reacting to what they're saying, that if they're crying, I'm crying. It's it's a more personal uh, approach, I feel. It's not always possible, but if it is possible, I prefer to go and sit with the person. Have you found in your travels that certain places have a resonance? Say if you went to a place where there was a massacre, does the do you feel somehow what had happened there? Has that ever happened to you? Um, it has. There is... I guess I call it an energy about certain places. I was recently uh, in the Czech Republic, and I, I'm currently researching uh, the Lidice massacre, where um, Hitler ordered his his forces to annihilate an entire town, men, women, children. And being in that space, I did. There was a certain energy, uh, a certain energy to it. And of course, meeting with the people who might have uh, had family members involved or, you know, they're filling in different parts of the story uh, for me. And one of the questions that I always ask is, what might we not understand about this event? Or what do you think people might not understand about your experience? And that, again, takes people back into you know, their memory. And, oh, well, you know, I really felt during this time that people, you know, no one was listening or no one was was paying attention, things like that. 
Many beloved books are narrated by a character with a distinct voice. Mark Twain's Huckleberry Finn or Grace Paley's character Faith or J.D. Salinger's Holden Caulfield. A character's voice really makes you feel that you're inside, the reader is inside their heads experiencing the world through their senses. How would you advise a writer to develop a character's voice? Yes, thank you for this question, because I I think voice is one of the most elusive aspects of writing, but yet it's so important. Voice is the signature personality of the writing. If you think of it in terms of, of something visual, um, like the architect Frank Lloyd Wright has a certain style, Gaudi has a certain style, that's their voice. And in creating voice in writing, I feel it's so important to pay attention to rhythm. Rhythm and melody, uh, they create voice. That can be established through punctuation or lack of punctuation on the page. It can be established by how much white space you allow in the margins. If you want something to seem quite quiet, um, you might include a large margin of white space or only put a few words on the page so it breathes, so there's a lot of space around it. Um, and, and I also suggest that when writing, listen, read the work aloud and listen to it. How does it sound? What is the rhythm like? And, uh, and, and that helps develop voice. For example, I mean, a very, very simple example is Dr. Seuss had this rhyming scheme that became you know, signature voice for, for Dr. Seuss. Um, and it, it always, it doesn't always have to be that, of course, extreme, but voice can make an author's work memorable. And there are different ways to establish it. I'm thinking when you talked about space on the page, um, the, the writer Cormac McCarthy recently passed away and his, his novel was very, his novels generally were very, very spare. And that's a, uh, that's really a function of the voice he was trying to, uh, to put out there. Um, you're, you're exactly right. And, and, you know, you mentioned, um, Cormac McCarthy and I felt that that, was very powerful. Even though it was spare, it was it, it contained such power. And sometimes we like to think that that more is more, but you know, no, sometimes it, it is that, you know, that the the less is more approach. Um, and that can be super powerful if you think of it as uh, a choir of voices or just a solo, you know, acoustic voice that's singing. That can still be really powerful. <laughs> If you're just joining us, you're listening to The Lowdown with Ira Wood on WOMR. Today we're talking to a best-selling novelist who says that the key to writing our own stories is our ability to mine our own memories and emotions. My guest is internationally best-selling novelist Ruta Sapitas, and we're talking about her new book, You, the Story, A Writer's Guide to Craft Through Memory. Ruta, getting down to the nitty-gritty of writing, you tell us that if your first draft is crap— that's okay. It's actually supposed to be crap. Crap is good. At least it is on the page. Then you write and rewrite and rewrite. In fact, there's an old adage, writing is rewriting. Talk about how many drafts your books go through. Oh my goodness. Um, I'm, I am not a writer. I'm definitely a rewriter. I am a reviser. My first uh, book, Between Shades of Grey, 
I rewrote that book 17 times and not just, oh, you know, little edits here and there. I rewrote that book. Uh, I believe that that's when the story really takes shape. And I have to say that in saying this, this is my process. Uh, I do know authors who are really strong first draft draft writers, but I believe that, you know, you, you decide what you want to say and then go back and decide, how do I want to say that? And, and I think of it often this way for competitors or performers. Um, Imagine if you could go back to your performance or your game and change something. It could take a mediocre game and make it into a you know a, a winning successful game, and that's what we can do in revision. Uh, so I I spend oh gosh at least a year or two. It takes five to seven years for me to uh, write a book, which is I know sounds ridiculous because it's so long and I do so much research. But I spend I mean a year or two of that is revision. You you tell us that you belong to a writer's group and your members of your writer's group don't pull punches when they offer criticism of your work. So even at this level of your writing career, even well-meaning criticism can really sting. Talk about how to accept it and how to use that to make your work better. Well, the first thing I I give myself is space. I, I have a writing group. There are five of us in the group. And when I've worked on something, especially spent years researching and drafting it, my writing group sees it first. And so I know that I'm that I'm close to it. You know, I know that I'm close to it, but I've worked with them for years. So I do trust them. And if four people give me feedback that's really hard to hear, um, I I say, okay, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna take some time. And I'm going to think about that. I'm not going to, you know, uh, react or I'm just going to digest that. And inevitably, when I step away and think about it, I think, wow, if four people separately said the same thing about this chapter, wow, okay, there's something wrong. I, then the readers and the journalists, and when people read it, they're going to say the same thing. So, and I just have to tell myself that, you know, it's it's just an opinion. And I think working in the music business for many years uh, helped me develop a very thick skin. Sometimes I think I'm tougher on my work even than um, than my group. I might be eager to throw out, you know, a couple of chapters and they say, no, no, don't throw it out. But, you know, just go back and and rework it. Do you ever hold your ground? Do you ever hear a lot of criticism and say, well, I'm right. They're not. I do. Uh, I can think of a particular instance with one of my books where um, my editor uh, was not interested in two of the characters in my book and suggested that I get rid of them altogether. And no, I, I really stood my ground and also, you know, realized, well, wait a minute, if my editor doesn't like these characters who I believe in so deeply, I'm not executing this well on the page. In my heart, they're fully formed, but they're not fully formed on the page if she thinks that, that they're just disposable and I can throw them out. But I really held my ground. <laughs> and I said, um, no, I'm, I'm going to keep them, but I, I'm going to take another shot at this and I'm going to make it even better. And I'm glad I did because now when readers come to book events, those are often the characters that they want to talk about and that they say they love. And, you know, so, um, so I'm glad in that instance that I held my ground. So beginning is always very hard. 
finding that first scene for the first page before you've written anything at all. Talk about how you begin, and I wonder, is is your big do your beginnings change when you write a beginning? Is that how often is that the actual beginning that the reader will see in their book? For me, uh, again, because I write historical fiction, my beginnings generally will stay um, the beginning of the novel. That so my now granted the writing might change drastically or how I'm describing it, but but the setting, the characters in that beginning generally uh, remain the same. When I'm working on a cre- with writers um, in a creative writing workshop, uh, sometimes it can just be such a hurdle. This where do I begin? that we start much more simply. I'll ask questions like, if a story was written about your life, what would the title be? Let's jot down, let's think of some titles. That allows us to find some key points or emotions that people, you know, what sort of a title encapsulates their life. So that helps us identify emotions. Then we might say, I might say, okay, if, if there can, if only you can only have four characters in uh, your book. Who are those four characters? That helps the writer determine, oh, well, wait, these, I know these are my important characters. This is who I need to focus on. What does your character want? That is the main driver of plot. What does the character want? And if, if the character can get what they want too easily, the story's not interesting. So we need to know what does the character want? And what are the obstacles facing this character? What are the secrets, you know, that that they're hiding? So I try to dig dig a little deeper. And I always say, dig to the why. Always ask why and always ask what if. Those, those words really help develop plot and story. So books that address creating a plot often begin by talking about the hero's journey, a kind of template in which the main character has a problem with their life, and then they consequently they leave home in order to fix it, encounter many obstacles in search of an answer, and then finally return a wiser human being. You introduce us to a technique when you talk about plot that adds tension and intrigue, and you call those conflict layers. What do those entail? Uh, conflict layers entail uh, details that emerge that will complicate uh, or eliminate uh, the situation or a new situation. For example, um, you're writing a, a scene with a wedding that that where a wedding is taking place. A conflict layer, for example, could be if all of a sudden you describe oh, the sky's looking a bit gray. And if the wedding is an outdoor wedding, the weather is a conflict layer. Um, Another conflict layer could be someone on the guest list. Someone uh, appears from the past that you never expected would come as someone's guest to this wedding. When, When you introduce these conflicts, um, it can complicate the, the plot in a very intriguing way. Um, and so, and we all have conflict layers in our own lives. That's what I'm saying when we're, we're thinking about our own memories. I mean, think, I know I, I have certain allergies. I have certain fears and, and in any given situation, those could become conflict layers, uh, in, in my daily life. And so I want writers to think about that when they're building their stories and characters. Okay, last question. You write that experience 
is less about where we've traveled and worked or what we've seen. It's more about our feelings. If we've felt deeply, we've lived deeply. And these emotions are the building blocks of story. So just to reiterate for people listening, even if our lives are not the subject of high adventure and and the stuff we see in films, we should not let that keep us from writing. Have I got that right? You've got that exactly right, because all of those emotions, love, loss, hope, hardship, um, fear, joy, those are things we've all experienced. And so they're relatable. And if you infuse those into your work, the reader will connect you know, to your story in, um, in a very deep way. Okay. I want to thank you very, very much for your time. My guest today has been the internationally best-selling novelist, Ruta Sapitas. I want to thank Maddie Dunn for his tech work on the show. You, the story, has just been released by Viking Press. This is Ira Wood with the lowdown on getting started on the novel. You always knew you could write one interview at a time. Bye for now. Mm-hmm. 